You'll have to excuse him. He's not down with the trilogy. Oh, what the fuck happened to this world? There's only one trilogy, you fucking morons. You know what? Maybe we should start calling your friend Padme because he loves Mannequin Skywalker so much, right? Hey, danger, danger. My name is Anakin. My shitty acting is ruining Saga. <laughs> Yeah, you're crazy, Jar Jar. Oh, I'm crazy? Those fucking Hobbit movies were boring as hell. All it was was a bunch of people walking. Three movies of people walking to a fucking volcano. Work. Recording, recording. All right, welcome back, analysis listeners. Welcome back to the podcast. A guy that would gladly say, you got a friend in me. Mr. Jordan Harris in Denver, Colorado. Say hi to the people, Jordan. Hey, yeah, that's right. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Good, man. Good. Glad to have you back. Been getting a lot of reps in recently. Yeah, pumping up those numbers. Pumping your numbers, buddy. 10,000 hour rule, Malcolm Gladwell. You're getting better at this as we go along. And then, want to welcome into the podcast a budhead who you just wish would make like a tree and leave from Royal Oak, Michigan, Mr. Colin <laughs> Shea. How you doing, Colin? Well, I don't need three movies to tell the story of how big of a loser you are, Rudd, but I'm ready to get this started. Wow, you piece nice, of shit. Nice, yeah, a nice. A little pushback nice from little Colin. Little <laughs> yeah. I was curious, Bob, how you were going to work in uh, an insult to Colin on the on the intro here, so I'm glad to see yes. Colin standing up for himself. It's become as expected as a, a villain callback in a trilogy, and that's okay. my shitty way of trying to transition into today's conversation so today we're going to do a mount rushmore guys mount rushmore is very simply a, a a list a four a four item list on a topic so for example if you were going to say mount rushmores of nfl quarterbacks you might say joe montana tom brady terry bradshaw i don't know who the fuck else you would add onto that list but um we're going to do it with movies and today our Mount Rushmore lists are going to be on trilogies. So each one of us is going to talk about our Mount Rushmores of trilogies. Trilogies that we think were impactful. Trilogies that we think were transcendent. Trilogies that have touched us or moved us in a different way. And, and trilogies that we think define the genre of trilogy. So uh, before we get into our list, I kind of want to open up the conversation to you guys and ask you guys, just what's your definition of a good trilogy? What are, what are ingredients in that recipe that you think make a good trilogy? What were some things that you guys were going through when you were thinking about your criteria for your list? We'll start with you, Jordan. Yeah, when you uh, first asked us to, to start thinking about this podcast and uh, asked if we were interested in recording about trilogies. The first thing that pops in my head is sort of the big action blockbuster. That's the first thing I think of when I think trilogy. Um, though I think it's interesting to to look at the the uh, list of movies that are possible options, and you start to realize that yeah, there's a lot of those big classic uh, blockbuster type movies that we all love and know. Uh, but there's also some that that fit the category that aren't as showy, and it's kind of interesting to. Uh, look at those uh, two types of movies against each other uh, for uh, a podcast like this one, like the Rushmore, and try to you know kind of weigh which ones are your favorites. Um, so it was a lot of fun to do. 
um, I think is you know an interesting list, and um, you know we got a chance here to talk about what thirty six different movies since we're doing trilogies. Yeah. So you know it's an hour long podcast. Let's uh, we're gonna have a lot to talk about. Don't don't limit us just to an hour, just in case I want you know I reserve the right to go longer than an hour if I need, and whether you want to stay for the whole ride is up to you, Mister or Mrs. Listener. I think that's interesting that you went immediately to action or blockbuster because I think every genre has got its own trilogy. If you think about Halloween, I mean, there's three sets of trilogies within that and that obviously exists under horror. I think you've got romance trilogies, you've got sci-fi trilogies. I mean, there's just all, every genre has stories that people want to reinvest in or stories that would require a uh, longer sit than just maybe a, a two-hour arc so um yeah but yeah just just what people's instincts are when they when they first think of trilogies is an interesting topic yeah, of conversation for sure and i guess to actually answer your question more directly what i'm what i'm most interested in is knowing when a franchise starts if there's going to be a trilogy i want to know that there's a complete story from the get-go and that there's going to be uh, an ending because we also see some franchises that sort of open up, become popular. And then whether it's a, a trilogy or it's 15 movies, it never actually ends. So I want to know that when I'm going in to see something. Who the fuck's uh, furious? Who yeah, the fuck's but, furious? Yeah. Jaws yeah. 19. Yeah. Jaws 23. You even think about a movie like Matrix, which came out and it could very much be a standalone project, but then catches fire redefines a genre at the time and they're like wow we need to definitely make at least two more of these and then the hollywood machine just kind of creates a trilogy and you don't know necessarily if there was a vision for a three-story arc and i really I, I align with you in that good trilogies to me you know each film there, there's a couple different things that i look for so you know it, it the trilogy itself has a beginning middle and end it's almost like a three-act play like back went back in the day when they made three act plays, you know, like for movie one is act one, movie two is act two, and movie three brings it all together. And so, you know, there's a vision for the the whole project. Each each movie is part of a vision, and I know that when we get into our conversation today on our list, that's that's probably going to become apparent as as we roll out the movies. But also, you know, the movies themselves can stand alone. It's not just, for example, The Matrix is a great example because. Matrix 2 and Matrix 2 is just to set up Matrix 3. It's like that movie doesn't really stand alone on its own. You can't just kind of parachute into Matrix 2 and really feel the full benefit without seeing the previous one or the future one. And so I think those are two things that I really like to see in my trilogies at least. Is it cohesive? Does it have a vision within three movies collectively? And then can the movies stand alone on their own? Those, those would at least be my two criteria. Colin, yeah. how did you feel? Uh, similar. Um, I think when you kind of step away from the, the obvious greatest trilogies of all time, the hangovers of the world, the leprechauns of the world, you want to focus on the ones that you at least... <sighs> I hate so much about what you choose to be. <laughs> But continue. I get what you're saying, though. That the, the biggest thing is, like, you want to be able to, to look at the story. You want to be able to look back on the movies and say, I'm pretty positive that before they made the first one, they intended on making all three. And they intended to, to tell a singular story throughout the three with sub-acts along the way. Ideally, that's how it works out. 
of course there are the john wicks of the world where it's just yeah. three awesome isolated movies that i they're all fun and enjoyable but i don't you, i don't really qualify those as what makes a traditional classic of a trilogy yeah i think another component to this too is that i like to see is uh, movies that sort of if they're a trilogy that they come out in a timely fashion um, and that is sort of a, a funny comment coming from me as we'll continue to talk about our list because I have one specifically on my list that came out over a very long period of time. And I think that uh, is something that was really important to that franchise. But in general, I like to see, for example, uh, you know, a year to a year and a half between the movies. And when the first one was being filmed, they already, because they knew what they were going to make, they were already working towards the second and third because when there's long periods of time in between individual movies, you kind of lose interest a little bit. It's hard to recreate that magic. Maybe other films have sort of copied the same sort of style if it's something new and unique, and it maybe just doesn't have the same sort of uh, impact. So, um, that, you know, that, that was another thing I kind of noticed looking back through the list. It's funny that you say that because I, I know you mentioned the one that you're talking about, but then there's another one that I'm thinking of in my head that is filmed in the exact opposite way, like you're saying in a very, very tiny manner that was also a huge success. And as much as we want to put parameters around it, um, there's so many that have succeeded in completely different ways, which is which is also interesting. Yeah, I just off the top of my head, I know Lord of the Rings had a very specific... Like, they, they went in and they set out, and Paramount was praised by making all three movies in, right. in, in one, at one time. And they wanted a cohesiveness to that vision. And they also believed in the, the fan base behind the books. And they knew that they were going to... They just, they just invested in three movies at once, which is very rare. But I think it pays off. But then you get movies like the Bourne trilogy, where you know, they took their time with that shit. And that, that came out like every three or four years. And so I think there's, there's cases to be made, not to get that confused with one of our other podcasts... Uh, vehicles but there's cases to be made for either approach but I definitely hear what you're saying Jordan and, and just the I think just in general you'd like there to be a cohesive vision and there's so also I, I feel like we're talking the same there's language. also Go some ahead. success stories too in the uh, to that point where it can succeed both ways but it's interesting to see how many of each we're going to have in our lists here but trilogies that were made and directed by the same director across the whole yeah. all three and others that had three different directors or two different directors maybe maybe somebody new came in for number three or someone came in new for number two and that it can still be impressive that the story can be compelling enough and tight enough that you can sort of hand it off to somebody else and they can still tell a great story under the umbrella that you've created moving forward as opposed to being someone who had it all in their own head at the same time yeah that takes strong studio heads and strong producers to align that vision but there's definitely cases to be made and examples for both with that said i mean i feel pretty warmed up you losers warmed up looped up let's jump into it go let's get in there all right so let's start with colin colin you always have some interesting lists let's hear your first on your mount rushmore for trilogy all right and the george washington position is what i'm going to say this one is this one's gw is the tip top. Um, like we were saying, I think um, ultimately the, the sign of a good trilogy and something that's like it's necessary to have enough momentum to sustain itself across a storytelling arc of three movies is 
that you need to have a movie other than the first one be the piece de resistance. Now, I'm not saying it has to be that way, but it very often works out that way, where the second movie is, some people may even say it's better than the first. Otherwise, you have a great first one and two disappointing acts that follow it, which sometimes can be a, it's a recipe for not being elite at the story that you're telling. Examples being Matrix, Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. When, when, <laughs> when your leadoff hitter is the, is the best and nothing that follows after quite lives up to it, to me, that's, that can be a difference maker when I'm, when I'm choosing the, the four best to, to talk about. And, uh, you know, we mentioned it earlier, but to quote Randall Graves from Clerks 2, Jordan, there's only one return, okay? And it is not of the king. It is of the Jedi. <laughs> okay. Star Wars, for me, it's the pinnacle of trilogy storytelling. And let's be honest, without this, we wouldn't have had Harrison Ford running around decades later yelling, Give me back my son! <laughs> it, Give me back my son! It launched an icon's career, just to start. I mean, we got Harrison Ford out of this. Um, it's Icons, with an S. And you're you taking the original, the original three as your selection here and not the whole franchise as a whole? Okay, you're right. I should be qualifying this. It is the, the original three Star Wars. Yes, I thought that maybe would have gone without saying. Four, five, yes. six. We're talking New Hope. We're talking Star Wars. We're talking Empire. We're talking Jedi. Empire. Jedi. Um, so it's one that feels like a single story arc told over, over three pieces, uh, as opposed to a single story that's added on to the later installments, like we said, the, the John Wicks, the Matrixes, maybe. Um, Empire is definitely the cream of the crop. Um, and the one with uh, which is the second movie, which is the second movie with one of uh, film's most famous kick in the dick daddy issue moments in history. Um, <laughs> Love daddy issues. Love myself some daddy issues. <laughs> a new hope. I know that's the the retrofit name, but it's a pop culture phenomenon, and its influences are still felt today. It's forty years later, and the, and it's still going strong, which means its initial pillar was extremely strong. Even though looking back, it's not the best. The, it's not the best movie, but it's the most important movie. And I think that's that's what gave it huge momentum going into Jedi. And I think most people will agree that Jedi may be the third worst, but uh, it's still a great movie on its own. Um, you know, it's a movie-making, operatic, film-going experience that I'd say by itself is probably in the Rushmore of films, the original Star Wars. Um, just from the fact of it being a cinematic achievement and what it's accomplished and how it has stayed relevant 40 years ago to now i mean you could still sit down that sit down there with your kids and watch those movies and they'd probably still be in awe it has held up so well over over all that time um i mean you get some great lines in the trilogy you get what uh harrison ford's i love you i know i know one of the most badass lines. Pin move uh hold on to your butts but then yeah, yeah you also get i think also what comes with being a pop culture movie the mandela effect everyone always says even in tommy boy Luke, Luke, I am your father. No, it's actually, no, I am your father. He never says Luke in the beginning, but it's like become such a part of our pop culture that it's actually been said so many times, it's actually wrong, the way that everybody remembers It's one of those famously yeah. misquoted lines. Yeah. Yeah. So Probably the most famous misquoted line. Right. I know we have so many movies to talk about, um, but I think that's, uh, that is, to me, uh, the primo trilogy in history. Yeah, it's... it's- it's funny to me because yeah, I have to you know check myself on this a little bit because I have absolutely no qualms, no issues with the original three Star Wars. Um, like so many other kids who were watching it for the first time when we were 
I don't know, eight, nine, 10 years old, first time I saw it, I was absolutely enthralled. I was into it every bit as much as you could be and absolutely loved um, the franchise and uh, was, you know, buying up the toys and, and idolizing the, the characters. And it's only been over time where they've extended the movies so much that I think it's actually, you know, in a lot of ways diminished those original three uh, because I've become just so exasperated with uh, the franchise as a whole and the quality and just telling the same story over and over and over again with the same tropes and the same death stars. And I've just gotten sick of it that it sort of makes me feel like I hate, you know, I, I should hate a strong word, but I don't like the franchise as, as a whole, but I have to, you know, sit back and admit that those original ones were, you know, every bit as a big deal to me as they were for a lot of other people. That happens with trilogies sometimes, especially when the first one comes out of the gate and it's the new hotness and then they make two shitty ones after where you're only going to ever go back and watch the one that you like, but then you're trying to actively do the gymnastics in your brain of blocking out those other movies to try to enjoy the good one as much as possible. So almost in this one, you're looking at that block of three and you're trying to actively not think about the other things that have come into your brain since then in order to enjoy them the most. Those, do you guys feel that that happens those to you? those member berries are always kicking in. Always well, so kicking that was in. what it was Remember for Chewbacca? me. Because I watched the original three a couple years ago. I watched them right before uh, they relaunched the franchise with J.J. Abrams and still really enjoyed them. Kind of hadn't seen them in a while and got to relive that magic and was excited for the J.J. Abrams version. Uh, like a lot of other people, I think I gave the the, pre, the Hayden Christensen prequels like a pass. Is maybe they learned their lesson and maybe this franchise is going to get on track again. And then they just rolled out A New Hope with a different name brought back the same people, told the same story. And I was just like, if I can get it, it's the same fucking movie. I'm done with this. Um, but of course I went and saw all the movies anyways and just got more and more frustrated with them. Yeah. And then just the, the deeper and deeper got into pop culture, the, just the, the more they had to stick to those formulas because people just were, they were trying to please so many people, but I, let's let's stick to the the original three and celebrate it because that's that's why we're here and um, you know that's a really challenging thing with with trilogy sometimes is to not have the bleed over, but it's iconic. It's 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 iconic blockbuster filmmaking. It's iconic sci-fi filmmaking. Uh, the ambition behind it is legendary and is in lore. Uh, I think. And to Colin's point, it, it made not only iconic film stars, but film characters. I think Darth Vader is still one of the greatest villains of all time. If you were making a Rushmore of villains, you're probably putting Darth Vader on there. Uh, I think in in general, it's, it's it brings smiles to your faces and, and kids still fucking get into it. Little kids, six and seven year old kids who were born in... 2014 are still coming back and watching these movies from the 70s and i promise you those are probably only movies that they'll ever watch from the 70s but they're they're here and and, and it's still impactful so colin it's it's totally justified to have star wars lead us off in this conversation yeah and even even we were a generation behind to be honest that was like my, my yeah, brother's we're a couple my brother's eight years yeah. ahead of me and he was obsessed with it when it came out but we were I, we were a bit behind, and it still was like it still dominated our childhood across the board, and we were we were well behind the initial curve. 
Yeah, I wish I could have been there when it was in the theaters. I wish I could have been of age to go see it in the theaters because it blew people's minds, right? Mm-hmm. Something was put on screen that they hadn't seen before. And I think we've talked about this before in previous podcasts, but with all the technology and films today, that doesn't really happen as much. Um, I can't really think of examples where I went to a theater and just experienced something that like I had never expected to see or knew was possible to be seen on screen. Um, and that just adds to the, the lore of the whole franchise, I think. And uh, for, Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. It's, it's special. Find it hard to f- have a collection of characters where more people have a deep personal connection to than Star Wars. Maybe Wizard of Oz, but yeah, definitely on the top there. So great lead off. Jordan, swinging to you. Yeah, I'm not gonna, your Rushmore. I'm not going to bite on this nerdy clerk's <laughs> argument that Collins beat me into, but the first on my list is the Lord of the Rings franchise. Um, One ring to move them all. It's only a matter yeah. of time until J.J. Abram 3 does this too. <laughs> God, that's probably true. Um, and, the, you know, drawing a comparison to Star Wars, this was an experience that we maybe weren't seeing anything on screen uh, that, you know, blew our minds that we had never seen before, but this was a a total experience going to the theaters. Um, They came out each year. As soon as the first one came out, the hype was, was fully on for the second one. Um, And then the second one was, I think I saw it in the theater twice and I had my uncle in New York get like a bootleg DVD copy of it. That was like somebody holding a camera in a theater. That was just terrible. And I probably watched that five times because I was just so into it the last hour of that film uh, and the battle scene was unlike anything really I'd seen on screen before. And then we were seniors in high school when the third one came out and we, I remember, we yeah. skipped school. We like left yep. school at yes, noon we because we like couldn't even wait to the end of the day to go see it after school. Well, you know, the theaters are going to be so packed, man. I'm not going to play with that. And I, I don't know. We were, we were young salespeople at the time convincing our parents that that was relevant, that that was something that we should just leave school for i mean we're seniors so fuck it at that point but hilarious right yeah i mean it was a big deal we were pumped up to go see it um and i have these memories from from each film too like i remember we went and saw the first one with a group of like there must have been 10 to 15 of us in the theater um and i remember two things specifically one we had a friend who didn't somehow know that lord of the rings was a trilogy and when it was me and and then when it ended, stood up and was like, what? What the fuck? What was that? <laughs> because like they didn't think they got like an ending to the story. Um, and then the only thing I remember is just some random guy was in the theater getting so drunk that he puked everywhere and spilled a bunch of beer bottles and they had to drag him out of there. Sounds like a good day to me. Yeah. Now, I good remember seeing them. the trailer. So I remember seeing the trailer for the trilogy coming up saying like Lord of the Rings trilogy first one coming out in 2002 second one 2003 third one 2004 and the theater having a murmur about it like ooh and I'm like I I may have le- this is obviously a trailer for a, a different movie that we were seeing but I think I leaned over to someone and going Lord of the Rings what the fuck is that because I hadn't read <laughs> books yet and so someone was like dude you don't know Lord of the Rings like one of the most famous novel series of all time but uh the just the let's talk about just the vision right let's talk about let's give paramount the credit for signing up for all three movies at one time casting a director that they believed in and really you know he hadn't done a ton and before that right and and this wasn't the this wasn't the first attempt to 
tell a story on screen or on TV or whatever of Lord of the Rings. And it really had never been done effectively before. They had tried a cartoon version because, right, we're talking wizards and elves and magic and orcs and stuff that's pretty hard to put on screen. Um, and, you know, it takes, you know, even like an encyclopedic knowledge of the, the book series to sort of understand all the pieces that come together. So to be able to do that in an effective way, I think is um, pretty commendable for sure. And so I actually rewatched all three of these just before this podcast. I wasn't planning on doing it, um, but then I kind of got sucked back into it. And I watched the extended versions, which I had never seen before. Because um, they weren't cuts. long enough. It's, man, the, the each movie is at least, I think, three and a half hours. And the last one is over four hours long. But I actually think it helped The Return of the King. Because um, as we were sort of talking about earlier, the way these movies come together... The second one doesn't really have a beginning and it doesn't really have an end. It's sort of, it culminates in a battle, but it leads to things that are coming down the road next. Um, and, you know, it, it sort of led into all these expectations for the third film. And at least my recollection at the time was that generally people were sort of disappointed by the third one because they didn't think it was as good as the second, even though it cleaned up at the, the Oscars, at least amongst uh, our group i thought there was some disappointment but i thought the extended version actually sort of even though it was four hours long made the final movie more engaging i it's it's just interesting it, it's smart to go with peter jackson and just his knowledge of the landscape in in australia and new zealand and new that was zealand. such a great backdrop for yeah everything that they were going to make with the Shire and then into Mordor and everything. But uh, just you, you, you just think about the casting around the, the project too. And it's a really phenomenal cast. You've got Viggo Mortensen. You've got... Who I'd never seen Chet. before. He, he was new. Sean Bean was, was relatively unknown. You've got fucking Ian McKellen, just all-time great Ian McKellen performances. I mean, and then, I mean, fucking Elijah Wood, who cares... I mean, I know he's he's yeah. Frodo, but like for the most part, like you're just it was just really just the franchise really made Orlando filmmaker. Bloom badass. Yeah, sort of. Never to be sort of. <laughs> Legolas was awesome. I thought Legolas was a shit when I was I was like that's my dude. Uh, but uh, it, in general, uh, just I just think the project alone in in its scope. In, in the money that they, they put into it uh, to make a quality product and to do it right, to Jordan's point. You know, if you're going to do it, do it fucking right. And they were rewarded handsomely. It was one of the highest... It's the highest growing, grossing trilogy until recently, depending on how you figure the, the Avengers stuff in. But for the longest time, it, it, was, it carried the mantle of the, the highest grossing trilogy, and it won fucking 11 Oscars. And, you know, it was... It, it, it's just an overall like smash success and rightfully so. I wonder what like yeah, the, I do the, think... the finance aspect of that is like locking people in and filming it all at once. I mean, you're not, let's say you do the first movie. It's a huge success. Now all of your stars are going to demand two times, three times the pay or something like that. Viggo Mortensen probably would have charged a hundred times the pay since he was kind of an unknown then. And then, like, imagine if you miss though, Colin. Imagine if your first movie comes out and that you you pick the wrong director and yeah, fucking, oops, and you've got two more movies that you got to try to get get people out to see. Yeah, you know, that's just an incredible risk. And I feel like the the technical aspect of it too is interesting. I know they came out 
in sequential years there weren't any gap years but even in a couple of years the technology can especially in a movie in movies that were pretty reliant on cgi where you could tell an even better story a couple of years from now it's 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 admirable the courage and like commitment and steel that uh peter jackson had in what he had available to him then he was like nope i can tell this whole fucking thing right now and that's what i'm gonna do also needs to be noted that those two you know we've talked about star wars and lord of the rings two very passionate fan bases that are very hard to please and both the original star wars and lord of the rings stick the landing and even though star wars wasn't based on books or novels uh, george lucas still had basically just an endless amount of background information in this world that he created Mm -hmm. and tolkien did the same thing with lord of the rings and when you have so much information um at least in the terms of lord of the rings it's it can be hard to distill that down into like a a story that's that has a, a a consistent narrative that's easy to follow that's not getting confused with all these other characters that are being introduced and knowing what things need to be included and which don't yeah, and, you, um, and it goes back to like what we what was said in the beginning, too. You can argue all, all you want, whatever side of the fence you're on with Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, but Lord of the Rings had a single visionary behind all three, and then you had three different directors for Star Wars. Yes, with the guidance of George Lucas's storytelling, but three different directors, and those completely different methodologies produced two of, if not the two greatest trilogies of all time. It's, it's awesome how... how how disparate those approaches are and how successful both of them were. Yeah. It's yeah, not as if you think, have to follow a single formula. Right. There's other, there's more than one way to skin a cat, but it's, it's cool that they came together in a way that is satisfactory. Cohesive vision is very critical here. Nice. I, I think the only thing that's really kind of uh, watered down Lord of the Rings over time has been, uh, you know, was the emergence of game of Thrones being in the same genre. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, we already joked about how long Lord of the Rings were, you know, it's 12 hours of, of movies and, you know, game of Thrones was a story that got told over, you know, almost 80 hours or something. So, um, I think the detail that went into game of Thrones and how good it was for as long as it was good before it totally just fell off the cliff has sort of, you know, diminished a little bit of the storytelling because it seems like the lord of the rings when you go back and rewatch it the stories seem not well uh fleshed out because you're kind of accustomed to the storytelling of game of thrones but otherwise i, th- I think it's still fantastic still holds up. i haven't watched it in a long time but good to good to know that it still holds up i i do need to move on otherwise our podcast will become <laughs> 80 hours long so my first movie is a little off the beaten path uh Sorry if I am getting in front of someone in the snake draft, but I would like to talk about Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight, Mm -hmm. which is a Richard Linklater movie, for those who might not be aware, and it stars one of Hollywood's most underrated actors, in my opinion, Ethan Hawke and Julia Julia Depley, but uh, it is a story about love and how love manifests itself through different phases of your life and over a long period of time. So it's kind of the opposite of Lord of the Rings where the movies came out sequentially and were all filmed at one time. Um, These movies in Linklater style were filmed almost 10 years apart from each other, starting in 1995. Uh, In some places, yeah. So the first movie started in, in 1995 
and then the second movie was in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah, then... nine years apart, yeah. So I think yeah, it was 95, but... was it 95, 04, and 13? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and they, uh, in it, in it tells a love story, and the first movie uh, is two 20-something people who bump into each other on the train, which might not happen in today's society if they were both engrossed in some sort of app on their phone, but... Uh, they, uh, they they bump into each other, they strike up a conversation, and they decide to ha- uh, spend just an evening walking around Vienna together. And then uh, the second movie, not to not to bring any spoilers, is is them having having a, a day together in France uh, nine years later. And then the the third movie is the continuation of that story. So I don't want to just spoil too much if you guys haven't seen this, but really what I love about this movie is that it's a great example of how dialogue and conversation can be the central feature of a movie. And a lot of times movies, you know, it's it's plot first and then dialogue and conversation exist to to support that plot and the dialogue and the conversation is secondary but really with this movie it celebrates those nuances in in our conversations and you know things can go off on a tangent and you know uh just the importance of the dialogue that we have with each other in in everyday life and um you know this the plot is if if you explain the plot of these movies it's very basic guy meets girl they spend an evening together in vienna and but the the movie is so much more than that and and it's so ripe with phenomenal conversations and just where you are in your life you're going to connect with one of these three movies and they very much to my point that i made at the top of our conversation they very much stand alone you can watch any one of these movies on its by itself and and just just kind of fall in love with these characters and fall in love with the dialogue and the way that it's constructed and the way that it's directed and just fantastic performances by the two people who are really the only relevant people in the movie um i just i've i've always loved its ambition in terms of telling the story over a, a course of time and i love how you connect with it, you connect with different movies at different points in your life, and uh, I, I, I just, I, I love them so much. So, I'll turn it over to you guys. What are some thoughts that you have? Yeah, I think that's well said, Bob. Uh, these movies, I mean, to put it simply, they're they're a big deal to me. Um, I share your uh, your sentiment and your enthusiasm for them, and you know, I think you know, for me, I I discovered these movies. Uh, for the first time in uh, as a college freshman in the dorm room. And to your point, the first one I saw was actually the second because I didn't even know there was a first one. I was just finding a DVD and looking for something to watch. Um, and was it was totally engrossed in the story and uh, loved every minute, minute of it as we were you know following uh, these two walking through the streets of Paris. And you know at that point in my life I was, you know, I was 19 years old, 18, 19 years old. I had never been out of the country. Um, I was, you know, a single guy. There wasn't much that I could necessarily relate to with them, but but still was engrossed. And uh, I think immediately went out afterwards and, and found the first one. And what I love about the first movie is that it's kind of like what you were describing, Bob, is that it's really, it's not trying to tell necessarily an epic story, 
Although I do kind of feel like the whole series is sort of epic and it's, it's, it's become uh, epic and just it's, yeah. But the first Ambition. one is just trying to capture a moment in time and it's just trying to capture a feeling. And that's what these two people went through on that one night. And I think it's, it's so special in the way that it does that. And as we reconnect with these characters over the year and time has gone by, even though we're just looking at this minute, each one takes place in less than 24 hours in time. And it's just around conversations it, the scale of it starts to be so huge because they progress so far in their lives. And then, you know, for me, uh, you know, I watched uh, the the third one before midnight from a hostel somewhere in Southeast Asia uh, with my fiance. And, uh, you know, here I am rewatching these movies as someone who's married, who's got a kid on the way and just sort of, you know, being able to experience in my own personal life, a lot of what they're talking about on screen and relating so well to um, the conversations that they're having, the good and the bad and the in-between. And I just think it's really special storytelling and, and uh, a really, really great uh, three movies. It's an incredible example of naturalism. And that's why it's so relatable because it's so specific. And I, you know me, I'm a sucker for these these natural movies that turning the mirror to nature and the more real it feels the the more i love you as a as a as a story whether it's tv or movies but it, it's accuracy with the way the conversations are structured is 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 what i love the most jordan and it's not just you know it's conversations aren't linear if you even listen back to any of our conversations we've had on these people go off in tangents they they have different different things they might say in in individual thoughts you know and then you know, it just uses it uses silence very well in moments like the moment when in the first one where they go into that recording listening booth and they're both listening to that record and just all that's communicated between the two of them. And they're both kind of falling for each other. And they're tr he's trying to figure out, like, is this the moment? No. OK, I'm trying to I'm trying to work my body language in a different way now. OK. And, and the way she's trying to read him. Uh, you know, when they go to that Ferris wheel in Vienna and just like all of those little things. Um, and it's just like very sweet. It's very romantic. And then you're right, Jordan, like the second one is, is a different time in your life. And like the first one is exploring young love and it's exploring what it's like to be somebody in your 20s and trying to figure out relationships and making observations with each other and having fun with the observations that you're making. And the second one is like life is set in. Life is settling in. We are adult people now. We are we 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 are now like grappling with with more severe themes uh, in terms of life. Exactly, and then and then the and they're third wondering one... if they missed their chance to be happy because yeah. they they I know you're not trying to spoil it too much, but they don't get together after the first movie. They actually don't reconnect uh, until they have a chance encounter uh, or uh, a situation that brings them together the nine years one. later and they get to reminisce about that time nine years ago and, and sort of think about what could have been. Um, and so the first two movies, not to cut you off too much there, Bob, but no, you're good. the first two movies, you know, they, they're very hopeful movies. And even though they're dealing with more in the second one, and there's a lot more there to work through, there's still this hope that they can kind of get it right. And it's very romantic underneath. Um, the third movie is also hopeful, and it's just love in different ways. And I, I think just the the realism in the third one might strike people because the the, the first two are, are much more romantic movies. But the third one is just love in a different way, and it's and it's like 
the battle that you have to go in for love. So yeah. there's, just there's think, moments in the third one that are devastating, right? They, yeah. they tear you down, but I agree. Well, and it also just, it, is, it, it is pops the balloon. It pops the bubble of just romance exists forever. And I think, but I also love the fact that it's like, it, I don't think it ends on a very negative note. If you, if, I mean, that that's up for debate, but I think, you know, it just shows, it shows the work that you need to get into at a certain phase, but it also shows that like that your people can be capable of that work if they believe, if they believe that it's worth it. And so I, I mean, I find, I find hope in all of them in different ways and, and it just, it's multi-layered and, you know, I give Linklater a ton of credit because just the process he went through, he gave his actors you know, he, he would give them a script, but he gave them full access to veto lines or to rewrite things, to put it in their own words. And so when you see Ethan and Julia working out those scenes, you know, they're 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 very much like it's it's intertwined between script and concept, but their own feelings and thoughts. And it's it's probably the most melding you'll see in any sort of project between actor and character. And just as somebody who's a performer, I, I've always admired just what goes into the process of making that series in general. So they're yeah, performing their own words. I don't know if you realize this, Bob, if, if you had a chance to rewatch these recently, but the conversation did, yeah. at the end of the third movie that they're having, where they're kind of uh, trying to uh, make amends and the, tra- the, time, machine, back, the time machine, the time machine bit. Yeah. It's the same conversation. It's very similar to the very first conversation they have on that train. Mm-hmm. So it's a really kind of cool way to show that, you know, even though so many years have passed and they weren't two young people meeting on a train, they, they're, they're, I don't think they're married, but they have two kids and their lives have totally changed and they're middle aged now. It's still that same sort of conversation that brings the romance into the relationship and yeah. um, allows them to, to connect them that, that personal level. When um, he's on the train, he says to her, I, you know, 30 years from now, you're going to wish that you went back and had the conversation with the guy and, and had the experience. And, you know, so like, I'm just, let's just get it. Let's, let's do the thing now. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's it, the it time travel conversation. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, the first, uh, the first scene, I think in the whole franchise, when he's, when they're on the train, uh, Julie Depley's sitting or no, uh, one of them sitting next to Julie Depley sitting next to an older couple who's bickering back and forth mm-hmm. with each other. And so it's kind of yeah. even then sort of Full circle, uh, yeah, leading into what you're gonna see over over three movies. So, uh, but that's fucking life, baby. You mm-hmm. know, and that's and that's my shit is when it's like, yeah, but you know what? That might pop the bubble for you if you're, you know, somebody that that likes to live in fantasy land all the time. But what's more realistic? What's more? What's more identifiable in your own life? And I think the the way he even structures the uh, arguments in in any in any of the movies. You know the arguments don't just just launch off. You know, like sometimes they'll 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 start to argue and then they'll like calm down. It'll there'll be like a peace or a consensus and then it'll take back off. Like a trigger word will send somebody back off again a little bit. So you know it's not it's not just uh, one tone. And I think uh, I've always just admired it. So I know we spent a lot of time on these. Uh (laughs) I'm I'm ignoring your cue to move on because I want to keep talking about it. But they do a good job too of. you know, giving equal uh, weight to both characters too. Like you don't pick a side in this one. It's impossible. Oh no, no. no. I mean, you're you're with them both, and when they're fighting, it's they, they both have really you know strong thoughts and feelings that you can associate with, and so it's just really well done in that way. The only character that I could really really relate to closely was 
when Depley was describing her ex-boyfriend and just said he was fat, ugly, bad in bed, and alcoholic. And I was like, yeah, that, that's the guy. Been, that's the guy I know. There. I've been there. I'm not either. I'm not either of these two in this story. I'm that other uh, guy. My favorite line was when Ethan Hawke is talking about how in the first movie his his girlfriend left him and he's like, the worst part about it is you start to remember the other times you've left other people and you think that that person that just left you is going through heartache and turmoil, but then it's when you remember back on when you left people that they're just happy that you're out of their life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's sad and tragic, but it's like every time I've uh, I've been in a relationship where the, the other person has moved on, I'm like, oh no, there's there's no pain on that side. They're they're mm. happy that I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> because I remember about when I had to do that. So anyway, um, great movie, great observations. Uh, we've, we've talked at length. If you haven't seen it, give it a shot. Colin, swing it back to you, movie two. All right, second trilogy here. Um, I'm going with a throwback. Um, this one is known uh, by a couple names. Uh, it's known as uh, the Man with No Name trilogy or the Dollars trilogy. And I am, of course, talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly, a uh, fistful of dollars, and for a few dollars more. If you're lucky, punk, do you? Sort of. I can't tell if he thinks that's actually in this movie or if he... He knows that's Dirty Harry. No, right? I, He knows that's Dirty no, Harry. No. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Yes, of course. We're talking about the trilogy that launched the career of one Dirty Harry, a.k.a. Clint Eastwood, a.k.a. the unofficial uh, inspiration for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Bob's boyfriend, Leonardo DiCaprio. Get off my lawn. <laughs> Uh, yes. All right. The famous spaghetti westerns, uh, Sergio Leone. Um, these, I remember when we first watched these, this was back, um, I feel a siren coming on, but this was back in college in our, our film theory class. And, uh, Brian Brennan's basement. This is a, this is not a Brennan's basement one. Um, there may or may not be a call out about that later. Um, no, this was, this was not in Brennan's basement. No, yeah, we had to watch. We had to watch all of these and and a few other westerns as part of that, and I just remember being absolutely entranced by the music, all of the just the expansive shots, the the trio scene in the end of. I'm talking specific specific about Good, the Bad, and the Ugly right now, but I wasn't so I I wasn't really introduced to the western genre, I guess really, and then when you see something like this. And you feel really, it feels really foreign to you. And then to hear that it was done, you know, by an Italian director, uh, it just kind of like it was a weird sort of kind of jolt to the system. It just kind of felt really out of place. But you watch it, and it's so unique, or it felt so unique when you when you first watch it with all the expansive shots, and then juxtaposed to the giant close-ups that they he always does on the eyes and the face and the guns and the hands and everything and it happens throughout the entire movie and it's it's just kind of jarring um this is another one though when you kind of talk about sequence like we were talking about with uh star wars and how the second one is not necessarily or if it, if that's the best one that often gives you a leg up because it means your storytelling is really strong these three movies don't seamlessly go together uh, and they were actually released, um, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is technically the first in the storytelling arc 
but it was the third and final movie uh, released between Clint and Sergio Leone. So it was actually a prequel to A Fistful of Dollars. So the storytelling goes, the good, bad, the ugly, fistful of dollars, and for a few dollars more. Um, but they were real... See, that's interesting because I don't ever remember the sequence, which is a testament to this trilogy, is I don't remember which ones came in which order. It's interesting because, I mean, to be honest, if you watched any of them, they do kind of feel like their own little movies. They, they standalone movies. Awesome. And really, he's kind of referred to as different names through all three. He, as in Clint Eastwood, um, sort of retroactively, he's kind of just known as the man with no name across all three. And they, it, mm-hmm. it sort of feels like a, they kind of did, even though like the themes and essentially he plays the same character, but maybe with a different name or just no name, so he could be kind of a chameleon throughout these movies. Um, after the fact, they kind of officially made it the the dollars kind of trilogy, the Man with No Name trilogy. But at, like we said at the outset, we were getting a little bit creative and officially calling these things trilogies. But the the three uh, team ups between Sergio Leone and and Clint Eastwood here. But another interesting part about it too is that so Eastwood was a nobody pretty much before this. He was on Rawhide. He goes over and he does a fistful of dollars, only because he was interested in doing getting a trip to Europe. Does the movie, comes back to Rawhide, has no idea that he's turning into an international star, goes back and he does a, fist, uh, a fistful of dollars for a shitload of money, uh, and then Sergio Leone tries to sell those first two movies back to America, right, because he wants to get them in front of the, the American audience. And the producer who buys onto these first two just kind of in a meeting goes, hey, so I'm interested, what do you, what's your idea, what are you doing next? And... Sergio Leone didn't really have a plan and not kind of off the cuff. He just describes, he goes, yeah, I'm going to do a movie about uh, three grifters uh, <laughs> chasing a, a treasure um, uh, set against the backdrop of the Civil War. And that's like all he said at the meeting. And the producer was like, yes, you're funded. <laughs> you're funded. Get Clint Eastwood. Netflix. Go, go get you're, this. <laughs> you're greenlit. Yeah. Right, right. It was, a, it was a Netflix greenlight. And so they end up doing what everyone considers one of the greatest, if not the greatest Western of all time, off of a random meeting like that. Uh, they get the third movie. They do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Leone goes back to Eastwood. There's actually supposed to be a fourth movie. He wanted Eastwood to be the star and uh, be the man with no name in Once Upon a Time in the West. But Eastwood was already big enough. He said no, and that went to Charles Bronson. But those are the three that we got. Interesting. But what I find interesting about this, so... We have A Fistful of Dollars. That was the first one, right? That is essentially a remake of Yojimbo. And it's it's essentially just Yojimbo. Uh, not as a samurai, it's set uh, in the in the saloons of, uh, of the Great Western Plains. Um, so we have that kind of stealing stories from that, right? And then we have The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly and all of the iconic cinematic uh, influence that it has being stolen all the way up to even Quentin Tarantino coming out and saying that he considers it one of the greatest movies of all time. And he has used it specifically movies like reservoir dogs with that, that famous uh, shootout at the end of reservoir dogs. And especially in once upon a time in Hollywood, obviously um, we know that Leonardo DiCaprio's character was, I swear almost to a T based off the Clint Eastwood, you know, career arc, obviously. Right. So yeah, even the mm-hmm. way he shoots spaghetti things sometimes, Western. yeah, they, that whole movie is about sending him over to do these spaghetti Westerns and stuff. And obviously, so it starts out with some stealing of Yojimbo and, and Tarantino said, saying that 
great artists steal. That's like, that's one of his quotes. And this trilogy it's a, started It's a line from, from Entourage. Tarantino yeah. only steals from the best. Right. So this, this trilogy <laughs> started out from stealing, and now it's still being influenced and being stolen by some of the greatest directors that are out right now. And I know these are movies that came out, you know, they started coming out in the 60s, so I don't know if everyone has had the chance or has even heard of all three of these. I would imagine a lot of people know The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, but you may not know A Fistful of Dollars, and you may not know uh, for a few dollars more, both of which are very, very good movies. A lot of people argue who they think is better, Fistful of Dollars or for a few dollars more, which just kind of adds to the fact that this is a really good a really good trilogy. I have to call out one moment. I know we have a lot of movies to talk about, but the most <laughs> Do it. badass moment of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly in the final shootout with the, 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 trio, the trio scene, as it's famously called, not only does Clint Eastwood kill Angel Eyes, in one shot he kills him into an open grave literally he shoots him he falls he rolls into an open grave then not to be outdone he shoots the guy's hat into the grave with him and then just for shits and giggles shoots his pistol into the grave with him all from like 100 yards away it's 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 absurd but amazing he does everything except for walk over there and piss on his forehead it's like the most badass cheesy thing you could ever do in a western and that's kind of what the spaghetti westerns were they were like westerns on steroids whether it was killing and violence um general chaos you know the heroes were a little bit more anti-hero i remember john wayne having a big problem with the way that clint eastwood was portrayed and the american audiences wanted john wayne to start acting a little bit more um with a little less honor and rigidity that the normal american heroes had right like clint eastwood would get his hands dirty in these movies and uh john wayne would always push back and he would be like i would never shoot a guy in the back you know and he would never do that kind of stuff so these these movies kind of turned up the uh turned up the volume on the western genre not to try to get too far off tangent but fuck john wayne (laughs) like i just read marlon brando's biography which is entitled the contender but you know, Marlon Brando was a very big activist for Native Americans, and, you know, that flew right in the face of just uh, Western movie and television yeah. culture. And so, like, the night that Brando won for Godfather, obviously he had someone, uh, a Native American, go up and accept his award for him. And, like, John Wayne came out at the end and was like, fucking, rah! basically, like, fuck Brando. Rah! And uh, he. Obviously, those words weren't said, but, uh, you know, just like, dude, fucking, fuck you, John Wayne. But uh, I think, Colin, are, are you grateful that you found, obviously, you're very grateful that you found these in uh, your your appreciation class, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just in general, Westerns are, are incredible for cinematography and for, you know, Westerns are really manly movies, I'm surprised that you're so connected to these. Well, these were so like I, I think the stereo the stereotypical John Wayne ones were uh, were super lame. I'm I'm glossing over that that insult at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. But no, these were these. It's I, just a very manly genre that I'm surprised. But yeah, I mean, yeah. And, this is and, coming from two people who debated at length the coolness of Legolas <laughs> and his bow and arrow with his long true. hair and pointy ears. Why, why and then how emotionally vulnerable we were. Katniss was for... cooler than Legolas, and you damn well know it. That's Fair how enough. lame he was. No, but I'm sure I'm sure the Hunger Games are on your list coming shortly. I do I do have continue. to say one other part of what makes a trilogy awesome though is 
its influence on what comes after. Oh, and preach, preach. This movie is credited to have inspired 200 additional spaghetti westerns that followed it, a hundred of which had the word dollars in their name to piggyback <laughs> off the success of this. So I think when you're looking at the best of the best, you have to consider how much did it influence the generations that followed it. And this one, in the terms of, of Westerns and Spaghetti Westerns specifically, was uh, was game-changing. Phenomenal point. And influenced my favorite filmmaker, or at least top two or three film filmmakers, Quentin Tarantino. Obviously, he's talked about these movies at length. Uh, or or even just other just launching the career of Eastwood and I, I to my opinion Unforgiven is is my favorite western but there's definitely influences from all that stuff it's in, into modern western it's like a dying uh, genre for our generation I feel like like we really never get a straight up western really anymore I mean 310 to Yuma mm-hmm. was like probably one of the only mainstream ones I really remember from when we were a little older. I know we had Unforgiven. I feel like I was a little younger when that one first kind of came. I was like yeah, early mid I know we on the Val Kilmer conversation yeah. we talked about Tombstone, but those were movies not for us. We we just kind of found them in our film fandom. But you're right. You're absolutely right. Just yeah, but, a, an incredible influence that that continues to 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 bleed into any sort of western style movie that's made yeah it's almost like a western in something that they make you know like that's isn't that what that's what lucas said his star wars was was a western in space or oh, an opera in space what was a western in space it was uh uh star uh star trek star trek was is, a western in space yeah the final frontier right like yeah. the frontier is yeah so it's like it's a space western you know but yeah cool keep the beat bopping jordan harris what was uh one of your next movies trilogies yeah yeah colin that's uh thank you that was that's an amazing place setter for the the next uh uh movies on my list which again uh is kind of expanding on the boundaries of what is a trilogy but i think that there's a strong case that these movies would be watched together and that would fit the category of a trilogy and that's the uh quentin tarantino uh rewritten history series consisting of Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, as you touched on, heavily influenced by uh, everything QT does, is heavily influenced by uh, movies that came before him. And uh, he is such a, a, a mind for movie and film history and, and storytelling. And those aspects are all built into uh, everything that he makes. But uh, specifically in these three movies, uh, grouped together, just a unique sort of approach to storytelling and something that's it takes some some balls to approach to say i'm going to make a movie that rewrites history in a way and i'm going to touch on these subjects that are often heavy right in terms of uh you know the world war ii nazis and 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 jews and the holocaust uh slavery in america and then uh you know on a smaller scale but still a tough story, the, the, the Manson family murders of, of Sharon Tate and friends. So to be able to rewrite those histories and do it in a way that makes a compelling movie, and some of these movies are are so compelling and so gripping, and to give just the, 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 the movie viewer this sort of uh, satisfaction of, of <laughs> these revenge stories is just such a, a, a fun experience. And 
you know, we can get into these movies as, as in-depth as, as you guys want to. I know we could talk about them all day. Hollywood's been touched on, I think, on this podcast yeah. already I a ton. I did, I did, I did I talk did, about that for a I did not. <laughs> I did not realize when I went in to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that it was a revisionist movie. I was just hooked enough that it was Tarantino telling a story about the Manson murders, and I was like, oh, shit, this is going to be fucking awesome. I have to go see this. And then the moment Brad Pitt hits him with the can of whatever he th- dog food that he hits him in the head dog with, food. I'm like, oh, wait, what the fuck is going on right now? It's like Wolf's I, Tooth dog food. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those, those Tarantino uh, universe stuff. One thing I love about Tarantino, too, with these revisionists, is he punishes the villains yeah. that he hates. Like, it's it, you don't just kill Hitler, you shoot him 400 times with a semi-automatic weapon and then you blow him up you don't just like murder you don't just kill the the manson murderers you bash her face into a telephone until it's imploded and then you light someone on fire with a flamethrower it's channeling everyone's cathartic energy in the in the in the world it, all at once. It's, a, just... it's an absolute punishment. I don't care if you're male, female, like if you are an evildoer, you are getting punished. Uh honestly the person who gets off easiest is Leo in fucking um in Django. Django. He just gets shot in the chest. But it's just like basically Django ends up melting that whole mansion down. You know what I mean? So, but like, like uh, the guy who really gets it is Samuel L. Jackson in that movie, who gets shot in every limb and in every different way before he finally gets undone. So, yeah, it's it's a brutal punishment in in the revisionists. But it's it's just so fun, you know. That I saw I saw all these movies in the theater when they came out, but I saw Django for a second time at a Bruin View, which was like uh, a theater that would show movies like after they exited the theater, but before they were available for release and you'd pay $2 and you'd sit in a theater and you'd drink and watch it. And, you know, they encourage the crowd to just get rowdy. So, you know, Tarantino is inviting you to root for your characters to seek their revenge. And it's so much fun to sit in a theater and to be able to see Django just lighting people up and Tupac playing in the background. And on paper, it's like, how is this going to be like a movie that comes together? But it works so well because the characters that are created are just, so fantastic and uh the, the yeah the 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 culmination and seeing the bad guys just get absolutely destroyed and <laughs> it's, it's romantic in a way people are getting their fucking brains blown out and you're just like oh this feels good <laughs> and by the way supporting actor wins for all three of those movies you've got brad pitt for once upon a time and then you've got christoph waltz for both bastards and for uh, Django. Quentin Tarantino won two different writing awards, uh, original screenplays for uh, Django and for Inglorious Bastards. So I know me and Jordan always live and die on that original screenplay award, but mm-hmm. incredible writing. It's Tarantino filmmaking. I mean, obviously this podcast is very pro Tarantino. Uh, I just think just it's it's just so fun and it's weird because we're, we're talking about serious themes and in, in, in the movie being fun and us kind of slapping our knees and having having a good time during it but yeah it's 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 incredible choices that are, are it, it's incredible chances that are being taken in the source material and it, it ends up giving you a nice payoff depending on your sense of humor yeah for sure and these are definitely these three i think you know 
you know, film fans of the future are obviously going to watch all of Tarantino's films, but these three are specifically going to be grouped together and watched in series. Um, and I'm almost a little envious of the, the people that get to do that and they get to watch one after another uh, because of just the ride that you get to go on. I feel like Some you could of the just best... major in Tarantino, let alone have a class. You should just get a degree in oh, Tarantino. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tarantino could teach fucking classes for the rest of his life on film history and themes and uh, yeah. styles and where they originate from and how they influence him and filmmaking in general. Um, but yeah, fantastic stuff. Very thrilling, the opportunity I got to see Hollywood in Tarantino's actual theater in New Beverly in L.A. on the Siren. I, and, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was. It was, and it was. It was months. It was. It was in January. The movie was ju- released in July. It was still a full theater, and people were ripping it up the same way that you just explained for a Bruin view, and and everyone was just having a great time. It was a ten o'clock showing, and uh, it was pretty thrilling. So. Love the suggestion. Do you do you guys do you have a favorite of the three? I would say Inglorious Bastards is the best. My favorite is Hollywood for reasons we know. I think yeah. best and favorite is is Inglorious Bastards. I there's a lot of rewatchable scenes in in Hollywood, but that opening scene with Christoph Waltz and the milk and the the children under the floorboards is one of it's it's such the best, an, the best scene I've ever seen. It's an amazing, mm-hmm. amazing achievement in just uh, the level of, of suspense, tenseness, like building tension. Like you just feel, you feel uncomfortable every moment of that scene. It's it's completely comfortable taking its time. It's impeccably acted. Christoph Waltz could have been it's... not in another scene and still should have won supporting actor. I honestly think yeah, I would, I would have yeah. given him an award. I would have given him the award for best actor <laughs> for the one scene. Like that's he won the he won the Oscar on that scene alone. I mean, he's incredible through the whole movie, but the, uh, I think also just you're you're completely discrediting all the fun that Brad Pitt's having in that movie and then uh, not discrediting, excuse me, but like you're 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 just starting it's also right. there just to be enjoyed. It's yeah. just there, it and then, and then also just the incredible scene in the bar with the "I'm going out speaking the kings" scene that's... with Michael Fassbender. It's like that movie is fucking so kick ass. Yeah, yeah I, I think you say to anybody, "Oh, there's just two amazing scenes," uh, or "I have two of my favorite scenes are in Inglorious Bastards," and you immediately know which two those are. Yeah, it's the so. it's the first one, and it's the bar basement scene. That's the best um, one. I I just love what was happening between leo and and brad pitt with hollywood so you know i'm i'm fucking so yeah because in django you've got the um dr schultz uh christoph waltz kind of showdown with with uh leonardo dicaprio which is great dialogue and great back and forth um is there an equivalent or, or similar in hollywood just the dialogue in general i'm just trying to think if there's like a battle of the wits kind of tense showdown in once upon no, a time the tensest part is when Pitt's going into the trailer home but it's not really dialogue based that's just like scenery he's very tense when he's going in and he finds the guy sleeping in the back because the whole Manson yeah. the whole Manson family surrounding him you're almost like waiting yeah. for him to die at like the whole time but it's not really mm-hmm. yeah I think the most of that movie is inter- it's an internal struggle versus an external struggle the Inglorious and Django are both external struggles, and the other thing is like a, a personal 
uh, triumph. Rod, were they the other movie? Were they handling? Were they handing out at Tarantino's theater complimentary whiskey sours for for all viewing? Uh, I wish. No, they had beer, but they did not make a, a, a whiskey sour. As you know, I was they didn't force actively to... drinking whiskey sours the whole <laughs> so day. They didn't force you to drink a before, yeah. you went, before you went so in. So if, if you guys are uh, are with us still, um, w- one thing we do <laughs> is the whiskey sour challenge where you try to drink seven whiskey sours and then do something actively. Uh, so, no, but I was I was drinking whiskey sours, but, but not at the theater. <laughs> Great. So, uh, moving on to my next trilogy is the Toy Story trilogy. So, Pixar, it's the first Pixar movie that was ever made. Uh, I think this this genre is really important. And I think just it, it hits you in different stages as, as it rolls along. Um, it came out when we were kids, and so it was perfect for, for us who were born in the 80s and the movie came out in the, in the mid 90s and and just was a was a great ca- uh, capsule for uh childhood and um movies and and magic and then as it as it moves on you know it it's final it's final piece we're in, we're in college and it's about letting go of your adolescence and letting go of adolescent things and, and saying goodbye to your adolescence. And I just think it was, it, it just impacted me in, in, in a way like that. And then even if you want to extend it into the fourth one, you know, the fourth one is just the, the struggle that you, you might even go through as a parent. Because now, you know, now us as, as people were we're, we're going in and I know Jordan is, is, is becoming a parent, but uh, I, I had a great conversation with somebody about how the fourth one impacted them. And it says, you know, I have a kid and, and, you know, it's my daughter and, and she's 10 right now. And, and I was, I was touched because, you know, you have this fear as a parent that your kid is eventually going to, to grow past you and basically stop playing with you. And that's, that's the struggle that Woody's going through in that movie. So I think kind of the same way that I was touched emotionally by the different phases of life that the before series was able to, to give you, I think Toy Story also is, is just really impactful because it, it, it brings Pixar and, and computer animation into our life. And I also just think it, it has real shit to say emotionally and uh, and is one of those examples of multiple directors coming in and in in owning the story and in in owning the through line, but it, it being done in a in a very real way. And I think each movie stands alone in in its own place. And I think all of them have impacted me at least on a, a very emotional level, probably more than a lot of just real movies have with with live actors. So this is one of those. That's yeah. that's my second one. This is one of those that's like. It's incredible how they were so aware of their audience and over, you know, almost, you know, 20 years, they recognize that your audience has grown up and not every franchise does this, right? Like you have the James Bonds of the worlds that are, or the, um, Mission Impossible like, they're just churning out movies and they're not, they're, they're just aware of the new audience that has come in, right? Toy Story is the story that traveled with with its original audience from the 90s. Which and was us, though. Exactly. It's exactly. us. And it's telling a new story with you guys at the center, of the, with us at the center the whole time. And that's why 20 years later, 
a new Toy Story is still resonating with those people because, like you just said, it's commenting on a completely new chapter of our lives still somehow in this make-believe uh, toy world, but still is completely mimicking things that we're going through in this life. It has grown with its audience, which is a very unique attribute for a trilogy to have. Yeah, and for me, Bob, that perspective that you described on the fourth movie is really interesting to hear because my initial feeling was there's absolutely nothing wrong with that fourth movie. It was fine. But I felt initially that I wish it didn't exist because I didn't think it was quite to the same level as the first three. But as you described, that very well could be because I haven't, you know, we haven't gotten to that level to that audience that they're, they're speaking to in that fourth movie. Whereas when the third movie came out, I was even like, oh man, they did a third tour story. I don't know if I really uh, need a third one. The first two were so good. And then I went and saw it in the theater and came out of it. And I was like, well, I wasn't expecting to cry today, but I should have known. Because <laughs> I was that movie fucking was just man fucking crying. Incredible. Like, <gasps> like fucking like my parents had just died crying at that movie. Yeah. And because it's, it's, it's fucking punching you right in that, that spot in your stomach, that sweet spot. Right. And it's, it's because we're at that point you're in college and you're saying goodbye to to a lot of things uh, in your adolescence and, and that's a journey in itself and then you've got a movie that's self aware like that it it was it I really feel like out of all the the movies that we're talking about like this one was directly laser focused targeting on us. Because it, it came out when we were kids, and it was speaking to us when we were kids, and, and it's it's grown with us, to Colin's point, and you're just, I, I'm honestly, like, getting getting worked up thinking about it, but, and, 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 yeah, and so, yes, we're not directly relating to that fourth one right now, Jordan, but I'm telling you, I've had conversations with people that said, yes, preach, like, it's, it's as impactful as the third one, uh, it, but I, I'm just, I'll look at the, the, the first three in terms of my technical trilogy here. But uh, just, yeah. to, uh, just and we're at, talking about a cohesive vision and, and, and seeing it through and, and being spaced out over uh, periods of time. Just And look at the first perfect. one, too. I mean, if you, again, talk to Influence, that's the first Pixar movie. And you look at from when Toy Story came out to what animated movies are, are now in terms of their popularity, their saturation in the market how creative they are, how groundbreaking they continue to be. I mean, this was the starting point. It all stemmed from Toy Story and the immense success that it was. Yeah, and just the notion that animated movies uh, don't have to be you know, vehicles to keep kids entertained with simple stories and some you know, basic humor, that they can, they can work for all ages yeah. uh, and it can be something that adults can relate to as well as kids can have a laugh at, even if they're not understanding all the, the minutia of the film and bob you know you know who my favorite character in toy story is andy's Allen, andy's Michigan. andy's mom because without andy's mom there's no plot and without any plot there is no movie someone's Michael's, gotta buy the toys michael scott, <laughs> michael scott. <laughs> andy's mom it's uh it's 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 special man and and it it does everything a trilogy should do based on my original criteria Swing it back to Colin. Oh, all right. Well, we've been talking a lot about how a trilogy can influence everything that comes thereafter. 
um, and this one was the proof point. Christopher Nolan's transformation of Batman has influenced a trillion dollars almost worth of box office sales, I would say, up to this point. I mean, when he put out Batman Begins, it made everyone take notice that similar to how you could tell a story uh, like Toy Story that resonates with everyone, you could tell an impactful, character-driven uh, superhero story uh, in a very in a very serious way. Not, you know, pun intended, why so serious, right? I mean, but they they got us... They got us to take those movies seriously. Uh, and especially, I mean, it being one of the biggest uh, superhero characters of all time had gone completely off the rails up until Christopher Nolan got his hands on the franchise or the character, I should yeah, say. Yeah, we joked about it a little bit during the, the Vettel Kilmer podcast about how, like, it's just the, what Christopher Nolan did for the Batman franchise cannot be understated. I mean, you had the yeah. nipple suit, it, it was, you had Val Kilmer, <laughs> Jim Carrey and his spandex. I know you love Jim Carrey, but he was ridiculous in those spandex. George um, Clooney with the nipples. Yeah, the nipple suit. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it, it revolutionized all that came before it. And it put, it put I would say it put all of those to shame and then influenced everything that came after it. Uh, and, and again, um, you'll, you'll, Here's some consistent themes here. The second in the trilogy was obviously the best of the three products. The Dark Knight is hands down. Well, I can't say hands down now because I think there's one thing that competes with it. But at the time, and maybe still to this day, the best superhero movie that's ever been made. Um, Heath Ledger puts in one of the most iconic performances I think that our generation... Mount Rushmore of uh, villains? Is he, he next he to really, he really your boy, is. Darth Vader? He really is. I mean, I think, especially for our generation, I mean, everyone's going to go back and remember Heath Ledger's Joker. I think, as incredible as it was, he made me kind of forget about Jack Nicholson. I almost, I almost look back at Jack Nicholson's, and I appreciate it in the time, but I almost... I view it as, like, um, it almost feels amateur in the ambition that it had. The ambition. Well, I think you're exactly right, Colin. Leading up to the Dark Knight, and we're overlapping on this, so I had this on my, my list as well, the, the Batman trilogy. But leading up to this, the conversation was, oh, man, this is a bad idea. Nobody can touch Nicholson as Joker. And now you're just like, Nicholson as Joker wasn't that good. Heath Ledger's, Heath Ledger's the Joker. I, I don't even think it's a conversation. And that could be generational, but like I, I think the, no, the, I don't think anyone's the ambition, the grit, mm-hmm. And the dedication to the role, I think, were were head and shoulders above the original. It's just a much more adult approach in general. Like, like Heath Ledger is dealing with anarchy, chaos. He's he he's got a much more defined character. George or Jack Nicholson's a cartoon, right? And I I think the the dialogue, the things that the Joker actually says about society, about how to how to really leverage panic yeah um i mean shit we're in a panic right now right but i think he i, I just think that the things that are happening in the dark knight are much more adult than he has what shit, was happening he has and it's, it's also say, a different yeah. movie like it's right. it's, it's they're, different, they're different they were asked to do different things but all, all you can do is judge the performance itself i mean yeah he, he had shit to say i mean uh when the chips are down these civilized people they'll eat each other eat each i mean other. that's that's shit that you are starting to see now, and it's it's. And you know what it is? It. It's fear. It's fear. 
Yeah. It's uh, fear, and, and I'm going to leverage fear. Do you guys remember? I'll never forget when he first shows up. I know we see him before this because he reveals himself with his mask in the bank robbery Simply scene. makes you stranger. But there was, a, yeah, there was a chill when that when that line happened, but people kind of knew that. Remember that first five minutes had gotten Yeah, you had already seen it. Yeah, when he yeah. walks into the boardroom and you just hear his little, ah, 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 That whole scene, I don't think I've ever heard a theater as quiet. Like, everyone was just locked in and, like, creeped out. Like, it was so weird. The little mannerisms, the little licking of the lips, the little weird sounds he was, I mean, is incredible but i mean yeah so the yeah, lips I mean, the lips were uh originally by and it's become legend now but he he had latex it was like him originally like working around the latex that was uh on mm-hmm. for the scars and so he was licking it and then they were like wow that's really creepy and he was like i'll keep it <laughs> and so that was one thing and then just the choice the the all the vocal work was around um Who's the fucking the blues singer? God damn it! Oh, uh, Tom Watts. Tom Watts. Uh, Waits. Yeah. Waits. Tom Waits. Tom Waits. Yeah. yeah, Tom Waits. And just if you watch, there's some like there's some duality videos that are on YouTube where just like him, like a Tom Waits interview, and then what what he was doing. Just just a lot of creativity around the character as well. Jordan, you were gonna say he just you know it's 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 an iconic character obviously, and he just doesn't miss right. He doesn't just pop up here and there and have some scenes and steal some scenes. He's there throughout the movie. And it's, it was, it's, you know, hands on your head type of viewing, uh, just sort of in dismay of, of what's on screen. And he, there's, there's just nothing that came off a little bit cheesy or a little bit, uh, you know, kind of odd or off. It was all just nailed so perfectly. And um, the, the story, I think, is, you know, simple enough, too, that even though the Joker's playing all these games and there's these kind of twists in it, it's, it's simple enough that you're just engrossed into it and i do think that's what at least in the third movie sort of lets down the franchise as a whole a little bit because the third movie is is kind of a mess and i almost think it's it's forgiven a bit because it's sort of understandable that it didn't top the second one so you sort of give it a pass because you're like dude the dark knight was fucking perfect Mm -hmm. it's okay that the third one wasn't quite as good um but yeah i did think it was it was a pretty big drop off in um, although it's not bad, I thought it was a little unfortunate that we didn't have something, um, you know, better to send out that franchise. Right, it, it, it is but, a trilogy but, that we're talking about, though, right? And the trilogy of villains, especially with Batman, who has what most consider to be the best rogues gallery of villains. In those three movies, I think they do a great job. I think Ra's al Ghul and and his story is good. Scarecrow, they do like Cillian Murphy does very well in in the first one. Joker is obviously the Joker, but. I think Bane, as an act, as a performance and a character, was actually really good. I think the story that Christopher Nolan wrote was a little muddled, and that's kind of where you get lost a little bit. But the presence Bane's of Bane... Bane's not the problem with no, the movie. No, exactly. I'm, but I'm saying, across three movies, I think they went three for three in villains, where up until then, you had... Remember Bane in, what was it, Batman for returns forever which whenever he's just like this yeah batman batman and robin like yeah everything had just been so comical up until then but then you get bane this just this just master manipulator and just beast of a a, a immovable object kind of thing to steal a line from from the joker but 
I think all three movies had villains that really, really, really worked. Numbers one and two worked from really tight, strong stories. Number three suffered a little bit from it. But from a trilogy, it's really hard to go three for three, and they did, at least from the villain side. And I think that's that's super admirable, especially um, coming from the expectations and what came before it. I would actually challenge both of you, because this is on both of your lists, that this is not a the strongest trilogy. Um, I think the first movie is... If we, if I was gonna give it a letter grade, it's like a B, like a B ish, like a. Was it a B, B when you saw it? Now, I think or was it a B in comparison? I think to, it's an A you know, by the, itself. I love watching that I movie. I think it's. I think it's Dark fine. Knight's an A plus, like, but that, that's. I think Nolan. I think Nolan in general got a little into being creative and clever with who's the villain of his own movie, but the third movie is just not good. Like it's not a good movie. It's. <laughs> Uh, yeah and so what what is the plot of that movie could you even tell it's, me it's, it's 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 kind of nonsense it's complicated and and yes like we love tom hardy and so we give him like like in what he's doing with bane but like the the character is very misused uh, i think it's the only thing that's really worth it you, you absolutely you absolutely don't give a fuck about selena kyle and bruce wayne's relationship which ends up being a, a decent part of that movie. Yeah, it's true. You really, you really didn't. Hathaway. You really didn't need that. Uh, I mean, it is. It's it is not re- a good movie. It's, it's just not a good movie. It's recreating one of the most famous Batman story arcs of all time when Bane breaks Batman's back. I mean, that is the first time you see Batman or Bruce Wayne coming. There's coming moments. Back from the, depths. the movie's and like almost three hours long. Oh, There's agree. moments that are there. I'm not saying, but like, it's not a good movie. Superhero movie. But I mean, it follows. And I think the first one. I think the first one isn't good enough to make it like a. a, a I think I, I, I think you're underestimating think... how good Tom uh, Wilkinson is in that movie. Okay, I mean maybe I'm. Tom, what Tom Wilkinson? Why? He's I he's mean, also he's... really good. I mean, you have him, Liam Neeson, what is he there and Cillian Murphy. All three of them are really good characters. I mean, he's you're talking. Oh, he's wait, the, you're talking about he's the, the mob boss. The third movie, no, the first movie. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was getting confused with uh, Loki. No, he plays the What's he plays the name? mob boss in the Tom first Hiddleston. Hiddleston. Yeah, okay. He plays sorry. the mob Tom boss Hiddleston. in the first movie, and I mean, all of the actors are are really well cast. I think the story is tight. I don't really like as opposed to Dark Knight Rises. That story obviously is not tight. So many loose ends. It's so full. I'm not saying Batman Begins is a bad movie. I'm just saying if if the strength of this trilogy in terms of a Mount Rushmore is on two movies i do not think i mean to let's i'll just let you know in terms of my shout outs like i've got godfather on a shout out because it's only basically a two movie trilogy that you can talk about but i definitely think the the two movies batman begins and and dark knight rises or excuse me batman begins and dark knight are not strong enough to to put it on a mount rushmore that's that's all i mean thinking about it that way i i think it's actually too bad that they didn't come out since there's no real through line between The Dark Knight Rises, The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises, it would have been better, I think, to have The Dark Knight Rises. Well, they, I guess there's a through line with Harvey Dent being gone. But if they could have reworked it so that uh, The Dark Knight was the final in the trilogy, I think that would have probably well, it's taken it to another level. Well, it's unfortunate that Heath Ledger died. I mean, the Joker would have been yeah. in Dark Knight Rises. Was that the, was that the not, original plan? We can't we can't sit here and do. If, they can't revi- we can't Tarantino. Like it. We can't revision this. It history. is what it is. Yeah, we don't have revisions. So it's it's three movies, and if I'm, this is me. If sure, I'm giving a letter fine. grade, 
Dark Knight be- or Batman Begins B solid movie good movie good movie I think that's B unfair A plus for for mm-hmm. Dark Knight yep. and then Dark Knight Rises fucking C minus okay like it's C minus is fair it's not I a would, it's not a I would challenge you based that. on the criteria we've mentioned earlier I don't have it as I would a, challenge you and I love genre, Nolan in their genre he made the best of the best that's an A plus I mean you're going top ten that's number one. Batman Begins, I think, is a top ten in the genre as well. Five okay. or five or six, probably across the. I mean, that movie is is really good. I think it's an A A minus. You're giving it a B. You got an A minus A A plus, and then yeah, C C minus on the last one. A lot of people would argue that Return of the Jedi was really not that good, and if if it's not part of the Star Wars trilogy, it's probably not as popular of a movie as it is. But I mean, just because number three falls a little bit, I get what you're saying. I mean, we're I'm putting it above the Godfather trilogy. It's that's, semantics, that's, right. but yeah, I just I think you're selling. Trilogy, I think you're selling Batman Begins short. But I do get your concern about Batman or uh, Dark Knight Rises. That's fair. Okay. It's also fair. three movies, which for the sake of this conversation fits in nicely instead of having to like you know yeah dwindle <laughs> down some other franchise yeah. that's got twenty movies. So I'm with you, Colin. Yeah. Okay, fair. But I'm also with myself. So. <laughs> Jordan, swinging over to you. Next trilogy. Yeah, we we touched on mine. So I had the the Christopher Nolan Batman's Lord of the Rings, the uh, the before series, and the Tarantino uh, histories. So okay, well uh, we'll see you when it comes to shoutouts. Cool. We'll pick up some time here in the podcast. So my next one I have is. Was Back to the Future talked about back to the future uh. <laughs> i'll touch on it briefly because i've talked about it in other podcasts including if you guys want to go back the uh the the nerd movies podcast with annie flora and david flora but just a movie a, a movie series that was was looked at and when they approached it it, it had one director zemeckis so over all three movies um also the third movie not that great. You're walking in. Uh, you're walking into your own argument right now. My own, yeah. hoist, <laughs> hoisted by my own, hoisted by yeah. my own baton. But but they 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 looked at it cohesively as as one story. It is definitely when they wrote it. It was written as uh, in in mind with three different movies written in mind and and even there's there's legend of the fact that they had a, a timeline board when when the writers were in the writing room and you know they would say like well if we if we take this one scene and we change it like how does it affect the timeline uh, and just all the complexities but it's it's a time travel movie which is is kind of hard to pull off but absolute blockbuster gold you've got Michael J Fox fucking murdering it in in i mean think of think of a have we seen anybody that's like a teenager that's come in and and done a better job like carrying a movie franchise since michael j fox doing it in in back to the future and my answer would be no uh just absolutely fun movies john mulaney has an incredible bit about some observations about it you've got christopher lloyd who's just this world-class character actor <laughs> we don't know whether he's 40 we don't know whether he's 90 in this movie but uh just they gave us a just, mount rushmore comedy villains right 
right up there yeah, next to Shane McGavin. You got Biff. Yeah. Biff is Honestly, incredible. we might have we might have touched on uh, the Mount Rushmores just in the the villains in, in this conversation because you've got Darth Vader, you've got Heath Ledger the Joker, and then Biff. McFly. <laughs> McFly. Butthead. Butthead. Chicken. Make like a tree and leap. Uh, just so many great, so many great moments. Incredibly quotable. I think uh, I, I, I just I have I've lots of great feelings about the DeLorean. It's 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 a great trilogy. Uh, do they stand alone? Could you watch like, could you watch Back to the Future three without having reference to the other two? Absolutely not. But I think in general, just the the ambition and the scope of the project, the execution of it the fun that it was made the the actors playing the, the parts it's influence in our pop culture i want to mark one down for back to the future just all around kind of good family fun right i mean yeah fuck yeah and, and well done so um you know some some of these franchises we want to see taken up to another level to be a little bit more serious to give us some more sort of important storytelling and filmmaking but sometimes you just want to kick back and have a good laugh and uh back to the future is so good at sort of bringing out the greatest hits and giving people things to cheer for and you know uh, biff can crash into a a something a truck full of manure Manure. three times and it can be it could be awesome each time so you got the johnny be good Uh, scene classic i mean this is a movie that yeah did white people take credit for johnny be good (laughs) kind of Did he go back in time and think about fucking his mom? Kind of, but <laughs> overall, I'm I, I'm with it, and you know, I, and I will give Colin the fact that yes, the third one not strong, but you know it was it was it was part of the vision. At least there was a cohesive vision. It all made sense. It all flowed. It, it, it's a three act story. It really is, and so Back to the Future. Colin, what's your final trilogy? Oh, all right. I struggled on which three to pick for this one, but I think you guys know me well enough to know this would have been included here somewhere. I almost chose the three Captain America movies, but there wasn't quite a clean enough wrap-up after Civil War, so I went with what is also sort of a little bit of cheating, but so was Toy Story when you mentioned Toy Story 4. The Avengers movies. The Avengers, The Avengers Age of Ultron, and The Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, since they were filmed at the same time, that's one movie for me. I'm saying those. those I, I, I think that's totally legit. Just that's cut out, movie. Just that's cut one out story. Ultron. Cut out Ultron together and just say Avengers and then Infinity War. I know, War but, and... <laughs> but Ultron did tell an important part of the story. I mean, they do go through a lot of inner turmoil there with Tony's desire to build a suit of armor for the world, which yeah. then leads to the big confrontation in Civil War, obviously. But like that all builds up into you know Thanos's appearance and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I left this one off my list, Colin, because of Ultron. That was <laughs> I was struggling between Batman and this one because I, I do think that as a whole, uh, it's the best part of the Marvel storytelling and. Um, on this podcast especially and we can sometimes hate on the marvel movies and more so on the the other superhero movies that have um you know come out of out of everywhere to to try to cash in on the success of of these movies but the avenger movies as a whole are just awesome i mean that you just have to describe them as, as awesome 
movie going experience. And this is yeah. I, I give him credit. I go to the grave saying that this is the most ambitious, um, impressive scope that the cinema world has has ever seen to do a 20 some 24 movie story i get we're, we're talking about three here and i think you can watch these three and still enjoy all of them a lot without having seen the supporting content supporting content obviously uh helps a lot again we're talking about brushmore as a villains i think what made these movies work so well and we even got our hater friend Mike Hammond to admit it when he first saw Infinity War is that the buildup and the promise of Thanos paid off. Thanos in Infinity War was everything the movies built him out to be and more to where he it wasn't even it wasn't even a ma- they were they went there that it wasn't even a, a contest and he followed through on his promises after all these movies and you were like holy shit that dude fucking sucks like you hated that guy. Like, he was awesome, it, and Josh Brolin killed it. A very legitimate criticism of the franchise is up until that point, there really wasn't a bad guy worth caring about. They were one-offs for every movie. They came and went. They didn't create a lot of interest, and that's why I think up until that point, until Infinity War, Civil War was actually the best movie of the the whole universe because they actually didn't even have really a bad guy in it. It was just the characters that we know right. facing off against each other. Um, and they 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 addressed that issue with Thanos and in Infinity War. And of the four movies of the Avengers series, I, I do think Infinity War is the best one. Um, yeah, I agree. Yep. But the, the, the addition of Thanos definitely took it to the next level. Yeah, so that's a rare one. Well, I, I guess technically the spaghetti westerns would have followed that as well because the good the bad and the ugly was the third one made uh and that's probably the best uh yeah infinity war endgame is is the best of the bunch and then you go back to avengers and then age of ultron so this is one of those rare occurrences where all the build-up to the finale unlike the dark knight it did pay off i mean those movies were a spectacle that i mean we'll probably never see again you I i don't really see how anybody marvel included with phase four and beyond are going to be able to match the storytelling clout that they had that paid off with that many characters where they can tell all of those stories where it makes sense and it lands emotionally and theatrically. I mean, it was, it was an incredible feat. Well, let's look back at all the movies that we've just mentioned. This is probably the best third act in terms of impact of all of the things that we've mentioned. Maybe toy story. But yep. a lot of the times it's like the second movie or obviously the first movie is, is is the most impactful. But this one, when you think from now on, from now until the end of time, when you think Avengers, like people are going to think about Infinity War first. Yep. And I think, that, I think a big part of that is because when you set up, whether it's Lord of the Rings or whether it's Marvel, where you have a quest, a hero's quest, and they're facing insurmountable odds... Mm-hmm there's always this kind of buildup in a middle movie where uh, it just seems impossible. And then to, to, to kind of bring the heroes to the forefront and have them overcome the situation there is, you have to sort of introduce something to combat the odds that they're against. And if it's not, if it doesn't feel earned, it feels cheap. And like they set you up for something and then just kind of brought in something out of left field to, to wrap up the story. 
And I think Lord of the Rings suffered from that a little bit, but I think by and large, the Avengers was able to to give a satisfactory end to the story, even while facing those insurmountable odds. And that's a really tough thing to do, and it deserves a lot of credit. Have you guys done the... Um, there's like an article you can read on what the best way to watch Marvel movies are. And it's like, well, you can watch them as they came out, or you can watch them in the way that they're supposed to be told chronologically or you can break them up in these kind of creative ways that people think is like the best storytelling but one of them is to just watch the avengers movies right you could just pick these four and watch them all the way through i did actually do that i doubt you guys have done that obviously but did you at no. least watch the, the last two together so i mean like yeah, i actually scene. just watched the first two pretty recently mm -hmm. i watched uh so um I was kind of just going to carry on to watch the last two. But do you think they stand alone? I mean, because that's kind of a criticism of the rest of the franchise. If if those four movies stand alone, that means the other movies were fucking pointless. No, I. what do you mean stand alone? Like, you could watch them without... It, I think you can enjoy them, but they're ten times better when you do have the supporting... You have Iron Man, you have Iron Man 2, uh, well, 2, whatever. You have Iron Man, you have uh, Thor, you have you know, all their individual movies. It does help. But you can still watch them. But I was gonna say, if I you, think if that's you... one of the triumphs of the Marvel movies in general is they they also stand alone. I, I I'll actually say yes that most of the movie, besides the last two, which were coupled together, I think that they are a lot of them. You can just watch. You can watch a random Ant Man, and it can you can just get into it. Or I mean, you definitely get more impact from seeing the weight of all of the circumstance going into infinity war like there was a few of the different stories that i didn't have a reference to and i was like oh like what's what's that deal but you can still play along it, it can stand alone i feel go ahead Colin. no I was, I was just getting at that i feel like if, if you watch infinity war and endgame back to back as one long movie like a you know a super long four hour and 20 minute movie or something like that it's an incredible story when you watch it when you watch them right back to back it's actually it's actually incredible to to do the whole thing so if you haven't done it i recommend it and you really feel i do see how that would help because i think one of the issues with endgame was once the snap happened in infinity war everyone knew that they were coming back and you kind of wanted to get to the point where they just brought everyone back so yeah. that you could get move on with the story and there was a lot of all right, we got to go through these steps and these mechanisms to get to this point where we can bring everyone back. And, you know, that was half the movie, if not more than that, which you can kind of just breeze through if it's a continuous watch. But when there's all this anticipation built up over a year and a half, you're kind of eager and your expectations are so high that you just kind of wanted to, to move on so you could get to that level that Infinity War they the Endgame never really did. They break up a lot of that emotional stuff. Like after the snap... Like, it doesn't end immediately after the snap, right? You get, like, the super emotional stuff with Tony and Peter Parker as he's disappearing. And you, you do get a lot of that emotional stuff at the end of Infinity War. And then Endgame starts with, you know, Chris Evans doing his, like, emotional support groups and stuff. It tells you five years later, like, there has been this gap and everything. Where when you get to watch it all the way through, those emotions carry over instead of being broken into two at such a critical part. It's, it's such a full, satisfying uh, arc of emotions that you get when you watch the two together. It's Except really you have great. Captain Marvel in between, which without seeing that would make no sense to have her show up in Endgame. 
That, I guess that's true because I already knew who Captain Marvel was. That didn't even jump out at me when I watched it. But yeah. That so basically, true. Colin's wrong. Totally cool. <laughs> totally cool. I'm All agreeing right. with Colin, but he's still wrong. That's where I want. That's where I want to end up on this. Let's uh, let's let's bring this home with some shout outs. So a lot of great lists. Let's uh, let let let's get us some shout outs. So I uh, I did not have. I had taken godfather off my list because godfather 3 is is not great uh but i i almost wanted to stretch because godfather 1 masterpiece probably the greatest movie ever made godfather 2 uh a lot of people argue is better than godfather 1 i still think godfather 1 is is amazing because of brando but um godfather 2 is also if you want to look at it it's it's a sequel but also a prequel because mm-hmm. you're you're adding and you're finishing the the Puzo Mario Puzo uh, Michael Corleone story, but you're also doing the prequel with Vito Corleone and Robert De Niro. So you know almost if you looked at it as as the second movie, which is almost four hours long, uh, as a prequel and a sequel, it could be considered a trilogy. But that is a lot of stretching, which I wanted to be honest for you guys with, because the third movie is is we all know what it is. So uh, that that was a shout out that I wanted to have. Jordan, you had a, a point to make. Just even regardless of the third movie, I think it, in my opinion, it would it would it uh, it uh, it should be on the list, the Rushmore list. I just wasn't all that uh, interested or uh, confident to want to go into to talking about Godfather movies, which have been broken down and yeah. uh, investigated and discussed uh, <laughs> in such greater detail than I could possibly do that There's I was just books shying just away. About, I was just shying yeah, away from the breakdown. It. Yeah. So yeah, and I, I mean we don't need to we don't need to break it all down, but And I will I will admit for full transparency and I will allow this criticism to be thrown at me in the future. I have not been able to bring myself to watch the Godfather movies because I just don't give a shit about mafia shit and stuff. You don't have enough time with all the Star Wars you know, movies. I know. I just said I, I watched both and Avengers all of the Mar- movies back to back. Four hundred hours of. I just can't. It doesn't Marvel, interest but... me. I know it's probably a cinematic masterpiece. It mafia shit now just does not interest me. Just yeah. I mean, I also would say that fantasy genre is not my thing. Yeah. But I watched eighty hours of on your on your recommendation. Eighty hours of and Game of Thrones. Are the best and also... eighty hours of your life. You should watch it. I'll just I'll, I'll give a plug that you know just me out here on on a limb giving you a plug for Godfather. I know I, know I just but, disqualified all of my recommendations, uh, but it's I, uh, one day, yeah it's one day. those those first two movies are absolutely phenomenal and and you know Marlon Brando for life. Uh, also, just you know what we haven't talked to any comedies. Fucking Austin Powers, not a great trilogy. First two definitely are, first should, two are great. We, yeah, you should we should it, it exists in the shout out category. Lots of fun. Every every new iteration we got, we got new characters. It got worse as it went along, but a, a good amount of fun. Um, I would also say the Bourne movies. Um, just really cool for, for the spy genre. Th- those are some of my shout-outs. Jordan, we, 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 we shared a lot today, so I'll let you, you get second crack at shout-outs. Um... Yeah, I mean, as a complete story, we have to give some love to the Harry Potter franchise, which um, is is about as complete as it gets, and also uh, similar to Toy Story, is 
so well crafted the books to to grow with the audience um and even for someone like me who read these books well past the time that i was maturing along with the, the release of the books it's just totally invested uh in the story and i think by and large it translates to film uh, where the earlier movies are, are definitely a little bit more kid-friendly and childish but i think by the last four movies starting at half-blood prince they're pretty heavy and for anybody that's even remotely a, a fan of the franchise i think um you know that's some of the best translation of, of books to films that you can have i mean we have um, two potterheads here jordan if i had to force you to pick three movies that would qualify as your harry potter trilogy what would it be i i just picked the last three that's why i didn't want to uh, include them as, as a trilogy. Last three as Hallows Part Two and Half Blood. Are you putting Order of the Phoenix in there? No, that's I would five, take six, part, Yeah, I would take uh, Part One and Part Two. Yeah, those are the most entertaining, I would say, because you're right. After well, it, after it, Gob- Goblet of Fire, that's when it gets adult. Yeah, and uh, you know. I think as a whole story, it's fantastic. But as yeah. somebody in their, you know, in thirties who's evaluating the the film and the the once it gets to that like dark level and gets very serious, it, it was just a little bit more enjoyable. That's the best to me. That's the best example to me of someone who sat down and knew the entire story from day one, all the way to the end, how it was going to be told. Everything was everything was foreseen in her head. Nothing was like shoehorned in. Nothing was. Yeah, see that yeah. vision. Was, that yeah. vision we've been talking about. Conclusive yeah. vision. Yep. Okay, Colin, bring us home. Um, we got Mad Max in there, I guess, which could be kind of interesting. Three well, movies. Thanks, Jordan. It was my turn, and I put that. Oh, up. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How's, right. Are you really about to say Mad Max? <laughs> yeah. Well, I have okay. I have the Mad Max trilogy in mind. Um, I'm not counting Fury Road, but the you know. Oh. I mean. It meant Fury Road's great, but I mean, there was an original trilogy before Fury Road that was also very entertaining. Um, Mad Max. I, ha- I have the Jersey trilogy too from Kevin Smith. Okay, um, so Clerks, Clerks, uh, Mallrats, and uh, Chase and Chasing Amy. Oh, Chasing Amy. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Clerks and Mallrats. Uh, those are two of my fave Kevin Smith ones. Chasing Amy is good as well. Um, you guys just did a thing on, dr- on Drunk Affleck. I love Asshole Affleck and Mallrats. It's one of my favorites. Um, yeah. I think under another link later, asshole Affleck with link later as well with days and confused. That's right. Link later, man. A lot of appearances here. Um, I think a more recent one that kind of flies under the radar and I was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed them. Uh, were the new planet of the apes. I actually thought, oh, yeah. I actually thought those were pretty good. Andy circus planet of the apes. Yeah. That's a good call. Planet of the apes they, they and Lord of the Rings. Enjoyable. I don't know that they're like sticking and standing the the, the test yeah of time. they're they're none of them are like incredible but they're all good like I, the first one i was really entertained by and really surprised um at how much i enjoyed it especially being someone who wasn't like a i wasn't entrenched in the old planet of the apes stuff so I, I was i wasn't super familiar with it um but i really enjoyed it um and then the second one was really good as well and the third one was you know it's okay but like it was one that i i had no expectations for and I thought it was a pretty pretty good trilogy. Um, well, Colin, what a okay, keep going. <laughs> uh, and I'm I'm gonna say one that I haven't seen, but I kept 
and you know doing a little bit of research for refreshers and stuff i think i might go watch this afterwards but did you guys stumble across blue red white i have not the no. french I've, I've seen those i've seen those i saw those in, in college oh are they as good as, as um, like everyone says i i honestly don't remember much about them it's been uh you know 15 years almost i I don't know. I don't remember them weighing on me in a, in a very heavy way. I remember it being very, like, symbolic, because I think each movie has, like, the hue that aligns with the color. It's the three um, It's the three colors of the French flag and the the virtues that are a part of... Like, there's one virtue assigned to each color of the French flag, and each movie tells a story about that. Like, I, I yeah, just thought it sounded are, really I'm interesting. I'm about that. It sounded really interesting. I might really have been a little immature for it at the time, or maybe yeah. I didn't really realize what I was watching, because mm-hmm. I think I just got the DVDs on Netflix and, and watched them, and was like, okay. So if anyone's looking for a random reco, try that. I think I might actually try and seek those out and yeah, try to find should, them somewhere. We should watch them and come back and chat about them. You're missing one here, Colin, that I'm, I'm surprised about. Yeah, I actually held off to, to give you a, a run a run by but no one's gonna talk about any dna jones like oh, the fourth gosh. one was the I had, fourth one was that scarring that we, we couldn't even no, bring it up in shout outs so i had it didn't even cross my mind i had those i actually removed i should have moved it to shout outs but i removed it at the last second for um for batman to be honest indiana because, jones because first three were because, first three were great uh, and they really temple of doom the temple of doom is not great temple of doom is not it's Temple of Doom's cool. It's pretty poor. Mr. You get, yeah, you get short round, uh, but Temple of Doom is pretty bad. But Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Last Crusade are, are great. Fantastic movies. Colin, Terminator 1, 2, us. and 3. What one did I forget? Oh, yeah. Terminator uh, 1 and 2, great. Third one, terrible. Yeah. The third one, I think, disqualifies the whole franchise. And then everything else that came after it. Um, Aliens Colin. 1. Go ahead. That's the same thing, yeah. Aliens, I, like I wanted Jedi to put Aliens on, so but you just bad. just couldn't get there with a third movie, and then everything after that just gets even worse. See, but why do we give the Fincher why do we too, give the it? break? Why do we give the break to to the Dark Knight, but we don't give the break to Aliens? Because I think the Dark Knight was uh, the the Dark Knight Rises was good enough. Yeah, I, I don't think Dark Knight Rises is as bad as everybody says it is. It's not great, and it's certainly the and worst of I the guess, three. But we have we're also ignoring you know we're, it's Christopher Nolan as a whole so it's packaged like if you had to include the Affleck Batman's in the whole framework you would you know it wouldn't be fair and Alien has has spread out to all these different uh, storytellers and directors and has just gotten so bad that it, it diminishes the the trilogy aspect of it. Um, but Colin, you were too. trying Matrix. to convince us that. Uh, I think during the Halloween podcast that the Scream movies are the greatest fucking Halloween movies of all time. Well, and you didn't even no, include them on your best Scream trilogies. One. Scream 1 is a masterpiece. Scream 2 is... See, no, because... So Scream is... We just talked about it. That's the one that suffers from no momentum. The first one is the masterpiece. The second one is a step down. And the third one is a massive step down. No momentum. No momentum. Yeah, it just... It continues to... Descend and Scream Four was just don't even talk. There's about so many trilogies like that that just continue to to get worse and worse and worse. And so, I mean, Die Hard, you know, like it's that's another one where there's a lot of movies. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean it's a good trilogy, though. Yeah, I know and we talked about John Wick, but John Wick is like such a right now such a great trilogy. 
Fuck yeah. John Wick so should good. be way higher on our list. That that should be a shout out. We should end with John Wick. Let's end with John Wick. John Wick is still I'll have to go back to it because I couldn't I didn't get through the second one and never saw the third, but I'll give it another shot. The I'm going to say John Wick was... is warrant of a th- of, of of love in the shout out category. Like John Wick is just like what we were just saying. The first one is was like taken. It was it just took all of us by storm. The second one was good but worse. And the third one was good but worse. But like they're all good. But it, you know, it's a lack of momentum. It is going downhill, but they're all entertaining. Like they're three for three. Like I compare that to Taken. Taken two was awful. Taken three was awful. Yeah. John Wick two and yeah. three are both really good, but they're just not as good as the first one. Great. Well, this is definitely going to have to be a podcast that comes out in three parts. So I appreciate <laughs> you guys coming in and and doing all three parts with me this evening. Thanks, Jordan and Denver. Absolutely, man. It was a good time. Thanks, Biff Shea in Royal Oak. My pleasure, as always. And thank you guys for hanging with us, for joining with our conversations. And if you guys love movie conversations, that's that's what we do here. So don't forget to like and subscribe. Have a good rest of your day and evening. Wash your hands. Bye. You got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. You got trouble, and I got them too. There isn't anything we wouldn't do for you. We stick together, see it through, cause you.